Hi, welcome to Eurocron. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Eurocron is a podcast where we chronicle extraordinary people and their extraordinary stories. Our goal is simple, entertain, inspire, educate, and at times humor our audience while our guests build their audio legacy. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. Our next guest on Eurocron is the voice of the Houston Texans, Vice President of Broadcasting and Senior Director of Broadcasting for the Houston Texans. He has been a team fixture since the beginning in 2002, calling every snap the Houston Texans have ever taken. He was formerly the co-host of Morning Drive Show on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. Other broadcast work includes Westwood One Radio Sports, Southland Conference, and GuysGoneGreen.net. Formerly the voice of the Miami Hurricanes, UMass, and Central Michigan Chippewas. He also serves on the Junior Achievement Board of Directors. The one and only Mark Vandermeer. Welcome to your Kron, Mark. All right, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for being here. Really excited to talk to you today. So where is a good place to start your extraordinary story, Mark? Well, good in the womb. No, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I really didn't start in broadcasting. I started in advertising, and, and I didn't really get into being on the air until I was about 25, 26 years old. I kind of had a midlife crisis early and, you know, hoping that wasn't the middle of my life. But I just decided that I wanted to do what I love for a living, and a lot of people are doing it. Why not me? And I really wanted to be on the air, so I seeked out opportunities to be on the air any which way I could. And this is back before the days of podcasting. I mean, it's funny because now you can find a lot of different ways to get maybe not on the air, but get recorded and get the word out and everything. Then in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, when I started my career, you know, there were, there were very few ways to do it. Uh, there were a lot of different small little radio stations, and I knew the business well from the advertising industry part of it. Advertising sales is what I was in. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to get listened to at these small stations. Uh, but I've, I found a way to start a, a talk show and uh, one hour a week, and that's how I broke in, and, and the rest is history. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a history, but the rest is history, and I just moved my way up. And it's not easy. I always say to people, I've lived in a lot of places, six different states, I've had to move seven or eight times because of jobs, but that's all been a pleasure because it's kind of like being a coach. You know, if you look at coaches' histories and they move around and move up along the way, they hope they do. Uh, it's similar to that, and uh, that's how I kind of look at it. So I'm here now. I'm in Houston. I love it. I'm not going anywhere. This is my spot. I, my legacy will be whatever I do as the voice of the Houston Texans and other stuff on the side as well of that. But really, uh, being in that booth is what it's all about for me. Talk about that first time you were on the radio. What was that like? Were you just, was it kind of a surreal moment for you? It really was because, uh, like I said, I knew advertising. So I bought an hour of time at a small radio station, which is not far from Gillette Stadium where the Patriots play. Uh, but the station only reaches the suburbs. It's still there. Thousand watt daytimer, uh, really small audience. But I bought an hour of time on the weekend and I just started doing a talk show, a sports talk show. And back then, this was before the days of 
even sports talk radio stations. So I thought, oh, Saturday morning I'll be the only sports talk on the air because there were sports talk shows. And I know here in Houston you had uh, every weeknight, maybe it was KTRH that had it. Uh, but up there, uh, they, they had great shows every night of the week. The problem was nothing on the weekend. I figured, oh, there's a hole in the market, even though the small station wasn't going to have a big audience. But anyway, I just sold advertising. I actually made a few bucks doing it. Uh, but, I, but the first time I was on the air, I really didn't know what I was doing. But the first time I had the headphones on and I started talking and I was on the air and I had a guest on the air via phone and to hear someone else's voice through my headset and to be talking to them on the air, it just felt very normal to me. It felt very good, very complete. It felt like this is what I should be doing. Uh, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, and I knew I was going to continue to do it, and I just kept on doing it. So uh, that, that's how I got rolling starting talk shows. The games were another thing because this small station did a lot of high school games, and I never really thought of doing games. But they needed somebody to fill in. They said, we, needed somebody, we need somebody to fill in and do color commentary on this high school broadcast. So I said, okay, I'll try it. So I did that, and that blew me away. That's when it really struck me like a lightning bolt, literally. I mean, not literally. But I literally had a moment that was really profound, and it was at halftime. Of all places, it was in the men's room. And there I am in the men's room, and I'm thinking – this is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to do these games. I'm going to broadcast games. I have to broadcast games. I will do whatever it takes to broadcast games. I said so at that moment, and that was back in 1989. And uh, that, that was when I had my moment. And I never really looked back other than to say, wasn't that pretty cool that I had a moment like that? I, I really wish everybody could have a moment like that in their lives where they really know that that is what they are meant to do. So I, I really uh, cherish that memory. But I've had to work really hard you know, since then, obviously, because I wasn't any good. Uh, I worked really <laughs> hard to continue to improve and get better jobs and so forth. And then, of course, you washed your hands before returning to work. Yes, of course, I did. <laughs> I know people get a little creeped out when I say I'm in the next room. I love that so. story. I love that story. So, yeah, you're right. A lot of us, uh, I don't think I've ever had a moment like that where I've just said, you know, this is what I need to be doing. It's just sort of more of a gradual thing, but just you, you remember it so vividly for yourself. I think that is a rare thing. It is a rare thing. And I always say to people, and I'm actually working on a book where uh, people, because I get this question a lot. How do you know what your bliss is? How do you know what your dream job would be? Uh, people have these questions about their own drive and their own life. And sure. The, the best thing I can say is, you know, I didn't know it right away either. I was 25 or something when this moment hit. I was 25. So how did this happen? Well, it happened because I actually was in the business. I was in advertising, so I was kind of close. I was in the general zip code of things. And it was a real blessing to be in advertising sales because the whole business broadcasting is about, as you know, Scott, it's about advertising sales. It's about can you make money on your broadcasts? You know, right. do they generate revenue? And that's the thing. I mean, you could be the greatest broadcaster in the world, but if you're not producing revenue, well, you're not probably you're probably not going to make a living. Yep. And and you got to be able to play that game. So that was a real blessing that I was able to do that first. But I, I say to people, go in the general direction of your dreams. I knew I liked media. I felt comfortable with it. Halfway through college, I hated what I was studying. I was pursuing a business degree. I absolutely hated it. And I was in accounting, and I thought, this is just not for me. And a friend of mine had a course catalog for the communications 
school within Boston University, and I was looking through that catalog, and it was TV and radio advertising, uh, magazine, you know, magazine um, writing, and it was all this other journalism and all this cool stuff. And and I thought, I want to study this. You could study this stuff in college. I didn't even know. I mean, I was that daft about the whole thing. So I finally said, let's transfer to that school within Boston University. And I did. And so I was in I was in the zip code, like I say. I, I went in the general direction of my dreams. I didn't even know what those dreams were, but I knew I was kind of going this general area. And eventually I found it. You know, I just kept plugging away and I found broadcasting. So uh, and I love it all, Scott. I love all the business side of it too, but but there's nothing like being in that booth. Yeah. I mean, that is that is my bliss. Mark, that is great advice to go in the general direction. And uh, yeah, because now, as you alluded to earlier, there are no barriers to entry, really. I mean, anybody can have a podcast, anybody can make a movie, anybody can, you know, do all these things. But, uh, you know, you, you got to know the big why. And uh, if, if you want to make a living at it, you have to learn how to monetize it. And that's kind of um, what a lot of people think of later. <laughs> and, and so, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's a lot to be uh, thought out there before you just take off. Uh, so you've done play-by-play for Miami Hurricanes football. You've yeah. called basketball. You've called baseball games. Compare and contrast, since you've done all three of the major sports, what's it like calling those, those various sports? Well, it's very different. Uh, basketball to me is so much fun. And, you know, if I compare it to mus- musical analogies here, <laughs> football is classic rock. Basketball is jazz. It's jamming. It's, it's, yeah, there's a structure to it, but you're just flying around. And it's kind of like hockey in that way. I love the hockey announcers. I've done very little hockey, but I love the announcers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am not big on baseball. Now, I, you know, I hate to say that. I'm a, I'm a fan. I love the Astros. I mean, I used to love going to Fenway Park and watching the Red Sox. I've actually broadcast the national championship in college with the Miami Hurricanes winning it all in 2001 at mm. Omaha, Nebraska, mm-hmm. Rosenblatt Stadium. And that was fun. Uh, so I can do it. But to me, I it just I have a short attention span. I love just I, I love the action of the NFL. I love the action of basketball. Fast paced. Uh, with football, it's it's lives hanging in the balance. You know, I, I can't stand it when I hear a football broadcast and people sound somewhat subdued. They're playing football down there. It's you know men exerting themselves. It's dangerous. Why are you not matching their energy with your broadcast? That yeah. drives me nuts. With baseball, I would do this kick-ass pregame show, get all set up, and and here they go. Here's the first pitch of the game. Now the pipe for a strike. And then <laughs> the brakes hit, right? Because it's baseball. It's slow. Right. And it was tougher for me uh, because I just didn't have the patience for a lot of it. I think the, the great baseball announcers are phenomenal. And in some ways, I wish I loved baseball because I think that's a great job to have when you love that game and you can go to the ballpark every day. And these guys just bathe in it. They love this stuff. I couldn't do that. I, yeah, I could, but I, I wouldn't want to do that. I love football. Now, the thing about football is it doesn't happen very often, right? It's only once a week. It's 20 weeks a year in the NFL, more if you're lucky enough to go to the playoffs. That's not enough games to sustain you as a profession, so you have to do other things on the side, either other sports as a play-by-play announcer or do what I do, which is work hard on the business side of the business as a VP of broadcasting, like you pointed out. And I've got a great staff of 13 people who produce digital media, social media, radio, TV. We have radio five nights a week, 52 weeks a year here with the Texans. 
we have TV shows 52 weeks a year. I mean, we just never stop. So uh, that keeps me busy. But uh, as far as the different sports go, uh, they're very different in terms of preparation. Baseball requires far more prep than anything else and far more fill time than anything else. Football is a little bit different on radio versus TV. Uh, basketball, you don't have a lot of time to tell stories. You have to know the stories behind the players, sure, but you don't have a lot of time to tell stories. And it's not a very friendly radio game because I always liken this to someone being in the car because that's what radio is. It's, it's a car medium. Someone's in the car. They're listening to the game. You don't want to overwhelm them with too much information, but you have to give them the pertinent information. Mm -hmm. I always say you got to give them a score and time remaining a lot. You can't do it too often. You have to do it a ton, uh, meaning you can't do it like too often. It's still not enough. Sometimes you have to hammer that home because if somebody gets in the car and they're listening to a game, think of your own experience and you don't get the score within a minute you want to just – you think that person is the worst announcer ever. Like, how could you not give it to school? Well, they might have just given it. But you, you can't give it too much. You just have to keep wailing on that score in time. And, and as soon as you do that, it kind of gives the listener sort of at ease sense about the, the listening experience because they know they're going to be taken care of. They're going to get that really important information. I know it sounds simplistic, but it's very true. No, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's almost like less is more. It's theater of the mind. But and you want to paint the picture, yes, but don't paint it too detailed because they won't be able to follow. They're driving; they got to catch the exit sign. They're they're at, a, they're at a red light. They're doing whatever. They're on their phone, you know. So you have to sort of handle it appropriately. I'm sure there is an art to it, and uh, yeah, it's um, uh, putting that that mental picture into to somebody that's listening. It's like when somebody's interviewing. I hear an interview on the radio. I, I like when they repeat who they're interviewing because if I just turn it on. You know, yeah. I, want, I want to know who they're talking to. And, and we're generally an impatient society. So, yeah, we want to know the score. We want to know the time. And, and repeating it uh, often, I think, is, is uh, really very good. Um, what are, are some of the memorable moments for you, Mark, especially early in your career, some takeaways from uh, broadcasting? Well, you know, I have a lot of them. And a lot of them are stuff that there, there are things that, a lot of people listening would not find memorable for them. You know, I was at Central Michigan for three years, and we had some tremendous moments there. Uh, you know, I called a baseball. I called a grand slam to win a conference tournament to send the team to the NCAAs, which for them, it's huge to get to the NCAAs. You know, if you're at Miami or Florida State or the University of Texas, going to the NCAA tournament is, you know, it's almost a, a birthright. But uh, so it, it's all relative to the area. But I would say that, when I got to UMass, you know, that, that job was a very difficult job to get. It was the mid-90s. John Calipari was there. Marcus Camby was there. Getting there was just such a, an amazing thing for me personally. And then to broadcast games in their final four season, they started the season 26-0. and mm. And they played a schedule that was just littered with who's who. I mean, they had we, we had Tim Duncan and Wake Forest at – UMass with Marcus Cavi versus Tim Duncan. It was a huge game at the time. This is back in 1995. Mm. And they played big game after big game, and they were winning them all. And I'll never forget that year. And that was a great team with guards like Edgar Padilla and, and Carmelo Travieso, and, of course, Cavi at center. And he was the player of the year that year. They went to the Final Four, and it was just a beautiful time. Uh, so, so that's highly memorable. And uh, a few years later, UMass would win a national championship at Division I AA football. That was very cool. And, you know, then I got to Miami, and 
you know, I was fortunate enough to broadcast games for maybe the greatest college football team of all time, which is the 2001 Hurricanes. Uh, they went undefeated. They beat Nebraska in the Rose Bowl. They were loaded. I mean, they had Andre Johnson, who obviously I have a great familiarity with here. Sure. Uh, they, they had Ed Reed on defense. They had just player after player. I mean, eventually, I think it was 13 players from that team would be drafted in the, in the first round. First round alone. Yeah. So uh, it's and Clinton Portis wasn't one of them, and he was an outstanding yeah. running back for that team. So sure. go figure. It, it was a heck of a of a time to be there, and I really loved it. And then, then coming here to the Texans, you know, and all the great moments we've had here. Now we want greater moments, but there have been some really memorable moments here, like the opening game, like making the playoffs for the first time in 2011, uh, Deshaun Watson being drafted, and and some of the great things he's done so far. And I know they're just getting started with him. So it's an exciting time to be here. And I really look forward to the future. I mean, every day is exciting, Scott. You know, the NFL, it's, everything's important. You know, everything is monumental here. A Tuesday in May is big in the NFL. It just True. feels that way. And uh, it's, it's America's number one sport, not only by, you know, you know, a certain margin, it's, a tremendous march and the NFL crushes everything in its path. There's just nothing like it. And I'm really fortunate to be a part of it. Absolutely. That is quite a list of memorable moments. <laughs> that is, that mm-hmm. is really nice. Sorry about that. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. You could keep going as far as I can. I'm concerned. So you've done morning talk shows. You've hosted the hurricane hotline, uh, of course, sports radio, 610 and uh, early in your careers. How do you, uh, how does play-by-play compare to compare to those talk shows for you personally, Mark? All right, so Hurricane Outline was in Miami, but the right. Sports Radio 610 talk shows, and I know that you've listened to many of these, Scott. Yep. It's it's really different to be on Sports Radio 610. Now it's not as different because now when I when you hear me, I'm doing Texans shows. We own blocks of time on Sports Radio 610, and we have Texans all access at night. So when people hear me that it's doing that, it's a Texans program that originates most often from the stadium itself. So it's our show. It's it's from the perspective of the Texans. Now, the first 10 years that I was in Houston from 2002 to 2012, I was doing mostly mornings at Sports Radio 610. And we were talking about everything, Texans, Rockets, Astros, whatever comes up in sports. And I had various partners, John Lopez. Andre Ware, I, I was on in the afternoon with Rich Lord for a while, and uh, I really have enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, I love all the people I've worked with at Sports Radio 610 and CBS Radio, now Intercom Radio. It is different because, you know, you are you're required to give your opinion on things. And, you know, clearly as the voice of the Texans, I want the team to win, and I've been called a homer and everything, which is fine with me. I mean, I... No matter how critical I could possibly be, I'd still be called a homer. So I don't care. I don't fight that. I just try to present things from their point of view and be entertaining. You know, we got great ratings. John Lopez and I, Morning Drive at Sports Radio 6 Tech, crushed it in the ratings because we had a great yin and yang relationship. We legitimately, authentically liked each other. And I think people enjoyed spending time with us. And, and I think that that just came through the speakers, you know, that, that we were having a good time and people wanted to hang out with us a little bit. So to me, I always say that's what you're striving to do with a talk show. You know, do people want to spend time with you? You can come up with all the hot takes you want. 
the bottom line is I want to tune in and hear what this person has to say. Maybe not even because like I value their opinion so much, but I just enjoy being with them. I want to have a cup of coffee with them in the morning. Exactly. On my way to work, I just want to kind of hang out with them. And it's the same thing with podcasts. It's the same thing with everything. Uh, You know, I'm a big Howard Stern guy. I don't agree with everything he does. And some of what he does, I just find not my taste, but as a broadcaster, he is tremendous. Rush Limbaugh, the same thing. You know, maybe not quite to the extent as he was, but as a broadcaster, no matter what you think of him politically, he's a tremendous broadcaster, um, especially in the early days. Uh, when I was um, in State College, Pennsylvania, I used to run the board, uh, and we were an affiliate of Limbaugh, and I, I just did that for about three months, and I couldn't believe how good he was. And he had a great team around him. I really enjoy these things. These guys who can do these shows – and especially if you can do a show by yourself and make it interesting and entertaining. Uh, but rarely are those guys really alone. Like Stern's never really alone. He's got people around him, believe me. Yeah. And he's talking to them, and that comes across as conversational. If you're alone in a studio, you're just sort of pontificating. You know, Colin Coward's a big alone guy, mm-hmm. and he's good at it. Uh, but, it, you know, no one ever got the numbers of Stern. Stern could hold people for two hours and, and just talk about the interns and make it interesting. He's got a rare gift that way. I, I'm a radio freak, and you know, I try to be like these people sometimes. I mean, not shock value or anything like that, but just have that sort of spend time with me sort of delivery. And it's difficult, but I try, and you're never going to perfect it. It's really hard. No, you do a great job at it, and you talked about John earlier. And the way I kind of um, – I don't know, judge somebody that I listen to is would I want to play golf with that person? You know, I mean, and, and you and John definitely uh, are, were two of those. And, and I was fortunate enough to actually be able to do that. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, but just just hang out for a while and, and, and keep talking about the stuff that uh, you guys talk about. And, uh, yeah, you guys were a lot of fun to listen to. You, of course, are known for rock and roll. Uh, what is the story behind rock and roll well i say all right so i say rock and roll after certain touchdowns there's this sort of misconception sometimes that i say it after every touchdown but i don't mm-hmm. i only say it after certain touchdowns and people ask me you know what the criteria are and really there there's not a set bunch of circumstances that have to take place for me to say it. it's usually a longer bigger play that develops and i just let it rip and it, I, it's a feel thing for me. It's, it's rarely a one-yard run. You know, it's going to be something of some distance, and it just feels right to me at the moment. So, you know, hopefully I get to say it once a game, but not always. And you hear it in the highlights a lot, so people think that I say it all the time. It originated way back for me at Central Michigan University. And mm. it started out, as, started out as a basketball thing. Mm-hmm. And and really, it was more like a you know he dunks it rock and roll. It, it really <laughs> works well for basketball. It, mm. it fits in naturally, mm-hmm. and and I used it back then. And I came up with it because we would be in queue during the commercials. I would say to the board op back at the state at the station, I'd say, "Are we gonna rock tonight? Let's go!" I'd get all fired up and everything. <laughs> and some of those games I was doing by myself, and I would just start talking. And I said, well, why don't I bring this rock kind of mentality into the uh, broadcast a little bit? Like, ready to rock. I say we're ready to rock before tip-off, and I say it before kickoff, still with the Houston Texans. We're ready to rock in Houston. And now I still say rock and roll, of course. Mm-hmm. I said it at Miami. I said it at UMass. I said it at Central Michigan. I say it here. And I, every place I've been, I ask the people who employ me, hey, do you, you, know, do you mind if I say it? If you, if you mind, if you care, I won't say it. If you don't want me to say it, I'm not going to say it. 
because I don't want it to be all about me. And certain touchdowns, Scott, like the very first touchdown of Texas history, I did not say rock and roll. You know, Billy Miller's 19-yard catch from David Carr, I did not say rock and roll because that's their moment, not my moment, you know. Mm, not that when I say it, it's my moment. I just didn't want to hog that that right. way, you know. Well, what if I moved on? What if they fired me? You know, I want it to be a clean call so they could always have it. Uh, you know, so, And that's what you're doing in the NFL. That's why the NFL right now is the best radio sport. Yeah. Because the NFL, and it used to be baseball, but the NFL, they preserve these calls. NFL Films uses the local radio call because it's more emotional, uh, uses the local radio call for all their highlights and everything, and we put it out on social media so a lot of people see it. That's why it's really great to be an NFL announcer. You're sort of recording history as well as just delivering what's going on in that particular day. Absolutely. Mark, take us through game day. How do you prepare for a Texan game? Uh, I prepare during the week, and it's probably about 10, 12 hours total, but some of that would include going to practice. Some of that would include just stuff I'm getting ready to do shows with during the week because I have to talk about the team during the week and some of the things leading up to the game, so I'll spit out some of that during a broadcast as well. But the, the bulk of it, Scott, is really memorizing the opponent's depth chart. Mm. And that's harder. The, the, you know, people say, oh, it's just a preseason game when we're in August. The preseason broadcasts are much harder than the regular season broadcasts because each team has 90 players and you need to memorize the opponent. A lot of guys don't memorize. They make these big charts. I'm not a chart guy. I have the roster in front of me numerically because it's easier to find players that way than it is to look for their number randomly on a chart or in a position group or however they organize it. So I just have the roster in front of me. I've already memorized the depth chart. And if I get stuck, I have the roster. So it's easy that way. But I look at every week as kind of a final exam and mm -hmm. I'm ramping up to it. You know, I usually get started around Tuesday for a Sunday because Monday is kind of a clear out day and you're reacting to the day before and you're tired. So I get started Tuesday, Wednesday, and I really drive it into high gear Thursday, Friday, Saturday is a review day. The, the day of the game, there's nothing like game day. I mean, especially on the road, you know, home is one thing, but I got the kids at home and, you know, I'm in my real life at home on the road. You're in this NFL mission uh, mindset. You're in a hotel, you have the pregame meal, you take the bus into the stadium. It feels so great just to be part of that mix and, and, and pull into the stadium and get out and go to the field with Andre and check it out and then go up to the booth. And it just feels so special. There's nothing quite like that. Uh, the buzz 10 minutes before kickoff or 10 minutes before we go on the air. That's, that's so exciting. You know, it's on, you know, it's happening. And, uh, and you know, you're kind of part of it. You're not playing of course, but you feel part of it because Absolutely. you pay attention in a way that is so detailed. You're mm. like a coach. You have to pay attention to every single nuance. And you know, now if I go to a game as a spectator, like I go to the Rockets games, yeah, I'm looking around at the entertainment, the people, and, you know, people watching and all the other stuff. Uh, you know, baseball, forget about it. It's a party. But <laughs> uh, NFL games that I broadcast, I, there's, I'm in a, it's like getting on a spaceship. You know, you're, you're away <laughs> from your life for a few hours. Then you come down to Earth. And what happened? You know, it's, just a, it's, it's a tremendous experience. Yeah, that is awesome. We'll be right back.
Today's episode is sponsored by Pitney Properties. Pitney Properties provides real estate services to buyers and sellers located in and around the Houston area. Having been raised in Texas, LeVon Pitney is incredibly well-versed in the area's housing market and always manages to find her clients those hidden gems that other agents tend to overlook. LeVon's relentless style and integrity allow her to hold client satisfaction at her highest priority. She works hard to make the entire home buying and selling experience as is productive and enjoyable as possible. Whether her clients are first-time buyers or seasoned investors, LeVon works tirelessly to accommodate their needs and exceed their expectations. To learn more about LeVon's real estate services, please don't hesitate to call her today at 713-805-8871. That's 713-805-8871. Or contact LeVon at sold at pitneyproperties.com. So do you have any special memorization techniques? And what I mean by that, uh, for example, when I was in college, it uh, took me to my senior year, but I finally realized, hey, I could put my notes on this cassette player and put this Walkman on and just walk around and listen to my notes all day. And uh, I wish I would have learned that earlier. But do you have any special memorization techniques for learning the players' names? Well, I'm memorizing numbers mostly, right? Number mm -hmm. 20 is Justin Reed. Now, I know the Texans. You know, I'll know sure. the Texans. It, it's funny, though. Today, I'm out there in the field. It's OTAs. We have a lot of new guys. So mm -hmm. I'm learning a lot of new numbers. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I want to get that down as quickly as possible. So when training camp comes, I don't have to worry about us. I know us cold. And then I can start working on the opponent. Because like I said, the first time we play, it's going to be the Green Bay Packers. I got 90 Packers to memorize, right? <laughs> And uh, my memorization techniques, it's funny you mentioned that. My kid just had to memorize 500 words, now, all, not all at once, but over the course of the school year, there were root words, and some of them are just three letters, like, oh, gee, gee, you know, what does it all mean? So we were going over some techniques, but the best advice I can give people is you have to figure out your own way. Some people say word association or association with this or that. That's great. But you don't have to associate it with something that, like, you might have an idea, but I, I, don't, I don't like your association with this particular item that I'm trying to remember. I'm better off doing it myself, you know, because I have my own brain and my own experiences. So find your own way to use association when you're memorizing stuff, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. uh, other, otherwise, you know, if it's somebody else's, it might not work for you so well. So you get good at it, and your brain gets good at it. Believe me, the first game of the year when I'm doing it is a lot harder than week 15. By week 15, I'm just rolling. I mean, I can just pick it up so fast because your brain, it, it really is a muscle this way, uh, which goes to show that maybe I should be doing it all off season long, but there's nothing like deadline pressure, as you know, to get the job done. Sure. So, um, you know, you want to keep your mind sharp. Now, my dad's 86 years old. He does New York Times crossword puzzles, you know, you know whatever it takes to keep your brain sharp. But uh, memorization is really cool. I, I'm fascinated by the way I remember stuff. 
And uh, I fall asleep at night going over players' numbers and things like that. I used to think that was a bad way to do it because then I might fall asleep during the game through uh, a Pavlovian thing, but it didn't really work out that way, so that was good. Oh, that's funny. You mentioned the crossword puzzles. I can remember my parents doing those all the time. You, uh, mm-hmm. you of course, have two boys. What's it like for them having a celebrity dad? Uh, I'm not really – look, I'm a – I don't know. I'm like a C-lister, you know. I'm not really a celebrity. <laughs> I, it's funny because – I will get recognized in the weirdest places. You know, I'll be at like Home Depot and uh, this lady will be at the register and she'll say, are you the voice of the Texas? You know, like, the <laughs> weird, like I would never think that she would know. And and people do walk up to me sometimes and they recognize me. And I'm thinking, hell, I guess I'm on a lot of social media video and I'm on TV sometimes. And I've been here long enough now where I guess I'm going to get recognized. Sometimes it's just actual, my actual voice. You know, I'll say something to somebody in a store. They'll be like, Wait a minute! You sound so familiar. Are you? You know, they'll they'll know it by my voice if they listen a lot. That'll be familiar to them. Mm. So that's that's kind of interesting to me. But my kids, they think it's a riot when I get recognized. My older kid, though, is in he's kid reporter. Uh, we did this whole series of videos where he interviews players, so he gets recognized. <laughs> and Great. and it's kind of funny that way. Um, and, and he just thinks that's the wildest thing. Now, I've tried to retire him several times. Uh, I swear it's not outright nepotism. My video crew says, no, we got to have him. He's good. He's good. We got to have him. And so he's he's had more broadcast experience than most people ever dream of. And he's not starstruck by almost anybody on the team. I mean, he's you know he's met J.J. Watt. He's interviewed J.J. Watt several times, Bill O'Brien several times. It's kind of crazy. I tell him how spoiled he is. Uh, I don't know if, you can, if that works, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. They can't comprehend it. Yeah, crazy. that is great. That is great. So you talked about uh, coming down after doing a game. How much football do you watch when you're not working? Do you get to watch it? fun. Yeah. I, 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 I always have it on. I really enjoy it. Now, college yeah. football, I've, I do like that. I love watching all football. It drives me crazy because the NFL game is so clean. And what I mean by that is it's three hours. The clock works so well in the NFL to keep the game moving along. Mm-hmm. It's funny how everyone thinks uh, this, these college games, these college kids, you, you know, the safety is such an issue. Well, then why don't you have the clock move like an NFL game? A, co- a college game is many more plays than an NFL game because the clock's stopping for first downs. Mm-hmm. So just go ahead and move that clock the way you do for an NFL game. It would be fewer plays, yes, but wouldn't that be fine for everybody? You know, sure. I always try to figure it out. They play 12 games, NFL plays 16. How many more snaps are they getting? It wasn't quite four more games, but it was another game and a half or something like that of action that a college athlete gets if they're playing the full 12 games at every snap. Um, and obviously in the NFL, you're not playing every snap. So it's kind of an apple to apple thing there. And I just think it's, it's just a long game. You know what I mean? These mm. college games last forever, but I do love it still. And I, I just love watching the NFL. I just think it's really cool to me. An NFL Sunday is it's like the NCAA tournament first two days. It's like Thursday and Friday, the first two days of the NCAA tournament every Sunday. It's so exciting. Who knocks who off? What's happening? What are the fantastic finishes? Not every day is as good as, uh, you know, last week or whatever, but usually you have a few unbelievable games and everybody wants to see the highlights and fantasy football plays into that as well. Obviously gambling's a big thing now. Well, it's always been, but it's getting even bigger and, and different as the legal legalization continues to make its way across the country. So, 
Uh, it, it's just fun to follow. I really enjoy watching it. Yeah. What is the off season like for you, Mark? Well, it, it's funny because like people, you know, and, and I get it. I run to people all the time and say, "Oh, it's a slow time of year for you. Oh, like it's going to get busy." So right. It, the off season for me is way busier in many ways hmm. because there's a lot of planning. I'm doing budgets. I'm a manager, remember? So I've got people. I've got 13 employees. So hmm. uh, no matter what business you're in, if you have employees, you know what that's like. Uh, no matter what you're doing with them. Uh, and I got a great crew. I mean, I really do. I, my whole thing is hire the right people, let them do the job. I'm just here to help. You know, I look at being a manager as kind of a servant. You know, you're a servant to them. Make sure they have everything they need to do their job well and be there for them when they need help with whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how I look at, uh, at being a manager. And so I'm managing, and, and I'm, as I said, we have five nights a week of radio. We have TV every week. So it never stops. It never stops, Scott. In fact, it's harder because we have to find ways to generate content. Let's, you know, a lot of the first few months, a lot of the programming is based on what happened the year before. The top 10 this and the top 20 catches and the top 10, you know, you're trying to figure out tops, uh, top 10 lists. You're trying to figure out superlatives. Uh, then you're getting ready for the next year. So... Uh, what's the team like? What's the rookies rookie class like? You know, what what is your focus? What is the emphasis on? What are the what are the storylines? So you're constantly looking for stuff like that, and it's a little harder during the season. You're just sort of reacting to what's the next game, what was the last game, and it's um, it's much easier. It flows a lot faster now. If you're winning, it's a lot better. Now, last year was a real perplexing season because you started <laughs> off 0-3 and then you're right. thinking, oh my gosh, where is this going? You right. know? But they got it revved up nine games in a row. I mean, it was mm -hmm. fantastic winning streak, best in franchise history, and, uh, and it was a lot of fun to be on that ride. Obviously, it didn't end well, uh, but it was a lot of fun to be on the train while it continued to run, and you know, we're hoping for big things this year. So yeah, the offseason for me, it never stops. And my wife gives me a hard time because I won't take much vacation at all. Uh, but she forces me to sometimes. <laughs> so uh, we talked um, uh, a while back, and you mentioned that you're writing a book about uh, getting your dream job using sales techniques. Now, being a sales guy myself, uh, that has a lot of uh, interest to me. But uh, tell us about this book. Well, I got the, my last three jobs, particularly the UMass play-by-play -play job and the Miami Hurricanes play-by-play -play job with flat-out sales techniques. And what I mean by that is when you're pursuing a broadcasting job, and it's a little bit different now because when I got those two jobs, email wasn't what it, what it is now. You know, now I am the employer, so I see what kids do or young people do uh, to get jobs. And they send email links of their resume and their reels and broadcasting and things like that, which is great. I get it. But they kind of leave it there, you know. I I would not be ignored, and and as you know in sales, Scott, you know, persistence pays, and it's not going to pay with every single prospect, but it's going to pay over time. Yes. I mean, the squeaky wheel is going to get some oil eventually. Yes. And when I when I found an opening, and UMass didn't even have an opening, like they did not even have a play by play job available, but they needed a salesperson to sell the network for them, mm -hmm. uh, sell the network advertising and develop the network. And I had experience doing that at Central Michigan. And as I mentioned earlier, I have a sales background. So, all right, great. I'm your guy. And I was going, I really wanted to get back to Massachusetts. 
When I left Massachusetts, UMass was nothing. When I wanted to go back, they were everything. It was kind of a weird dynamic to me. I was like, all right, let's go get this job. Mm-hmm. So, because um, I, I, I went to school at Boston University. I think I mentioned that. Yes. I, I left there to start my radio career. I mentioned the show I did in Foxborough, but I went to Clearfield, Pennsylvania, in the middle of nowhere to get my first full-time radio job. I worked in State College, Pennsylvania, which is you know not the middle of nowhere, but it's not exactly cosmopolitan paradise. And then I went to Central Michigan, which is in the middle of Michigan. So uh, you know, I was I was away for a while, and I wanted to go back. So I made a whole presentation for UMass. I called the general manager and I said, "Look, I really want to be the voice of the Minutemen." He's like, "Well, we don't need a voice. We need somebody to sell the network." I said, "Let me meet with you." He's like, "Okay, come on by." You know, so I made a whole presentation. I I, I had it all. You know, I had color printing, and you know, at the time this was kind of a big deal. <laughs> but anyway, sure. I had a, a map set up with their affiliates and other affiliates on Target. I knew the radio scene a little bit in Massachusetts, so I made this whole presentation. I showed it to him. I said. I need to do the play-by-play, though, and I'll do this for you. I'll do all this stuff for you. I'll sell you network, and you know, I really laid it on. And he said, and he had a look on his face like he just tasted bad cheese, so I thought <laughs> I didn't get the job or that there would be no offer. But he called me that night, and he said, you know, if you really want this, it's not just me. There's this regional VP guy who's in another tent, Springfield, Mass., which was a, you know like a half hour away or whatever, and I thought – all right, there we go. I got another decision maker. So I was flying out that next day, but I said, you know what? I got to go meet this guy. So I went to the waiting room to the receptionist. I said, I'd like to meet this guy. Uh, I just want to shake his hand. And I used this technique a few times. I just want to shake his hand and say hello. I'm not here to meet. I'm not here to take any of his time. Just want to say hello. That's very unthreatening. So I, I waited like an hour. I was like Bud Fox and Wall Street. I waited like an hour and, uh, and he finally came out. I shook his hand. He said, yeah, I know about you. I know you met with Rick, this other guy. He said, interesting. Uh, and he didn't even take me into his office. We were talking right there in the waiting room. He said, and you'd be willing to move back here and do all that stuff? He was like, uh, you know, then, which was kind of a fine signal to me, but I didn't, I didn't read too much into it. Uh, and then that was it. I just shook his hand. But at least he knows who I am now. And that's the thing about meeting people. Too many kids today, young people today, they chase jobs. They don't go meet the person. I always say, go there. Just totally go. agree. Well, I can't just show up. Totally yes, agree. Yes, you can. Yes. There are no rules. You know, people going for marketing jobs, it's marketing. You're not going to be a lawyer. It's marketing. Right. Go market yourself. Send them a pizza with your picture on it. Do anything. Yeah. You know? Stand out. Show them you know how to market. You know, and, and too many people don't get creative. They don't think outside the box when they're pursuing jobs. And, and I just think it's hilarious. So um, anyway, the, 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 you know, I'm, it's the short story is I waited a while, but I kept on pursuing and sending information, but I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get this. And one day I checked my messages and I got a message and I got a message from the general manager saying, we'd like to talk to you about a job. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I knew it, that I got it obviously. And it was just the biggest thrill to get that job and go back to Massachusetts at the time was huge. Quick story about Miami. So four years later, I'm chasing down the Hurricanes job, and I already knew some of these techniques, obviously. And I just – the Hurricanes job was open. Sonny Hirsch, who had been doing those games forever, died. I mean, somebody had to die for this job to open. Uh, but it was going to be a local guy getting the job. Everybody said that, but I chased it down. I sent FedEx packages with my – at the time, it's a CD you're sending out with your play-by-play on it to everybody at the university I could think of, the athletic director, the director of marketing, the public relations guy, you know, everybody, 
and the radio station that carry the games, the general manager, the program director, even the advertising sales director. I sent them to everybody. What this does now, and this is something you can do with email, what this does is, yeah, the sales manager at the station is going to get the package, but he's not, you know, he's going to know that it's not him that you're really targeting. So he'll walk over to the PD and say, hey, this is for you. And they'll be like, well, he'll, and they'll say, the other guy will say, I got one too. And now they're having a conversation about it. So you're just trying to get in their head any which way you can. And I actually flew myself down there, which is what I did for UMass also. I flew myself down there. You know, I flew myself in. Mm -hmm. I met with the program director. He was willing to take the meeting as the program director and just talk about things. And he said, yeah, but the university has a lot to say. Well, I went down to the university, and I, Paul D. was the athletic director. And I just went to this receptionist, and I said, I want to meet Paul D. And I'll wait. I waited. And the same thing. I shook his hand. And he said, oh, yeah, I've heard something about you, whatever. I said, yeah, I want to be the voice of the hurricane. So now he knows me, you know. Sure. He met me. Sure. I mean, how much of an advantage is that? The general manager had to meet me at the radio station. I stalked him in the parking lot. I, I literally on Monday morning, because he wasn't in there. It was a Friday when I went down there. I waited all weekend, which wasn't unpleasant in Miami. Sure. Uh, I waited all weekend. I met with him Monday morning, met with him. I waited for him in the parking lot. And, you know, he was a former sales guy, like a lot of radio general managers are. He appreciated that kind of persistence. And, uh, you know, that night I'm on, I'm on, I'm at the airport, I'm at the gate, ready to fly back to Massachusetts. And I thought I've done everything I can do, I think in the short term anyway, Yeah. but I got a call. I got a message from the program director, send us more tape. Wow. So I was like, all right, let's go. And eventually I got that job. So sorry to be so long winded about oh, it. No. this. Yeah, the point is, like, you just have to go for these things with everything you've got. Because if there's something that you think you're right for, then how how can you not use every avenue possible? And because if you don't, you're going to be wondering, oh, what if I had done this? You know, what if if only I had done that? You know, use every avenue possible. If you don't get it, you don't get it. Now, there's some other jobs that I didn't get. Okay, there's some times when I've been turned down or whatever, and you got to live with that. But I've gotten the jobs I've wanted most, and that's what I'm happy about. Like you said, persistence pays off in the long run. How did, yeah. how did you get the Texan job? Well, I was at Miami, and they were doing really well, obviously. And yeah. uh, as I put the pieces together, I got on a short list very quickly. This was actually one of the, quote, easier ones because I got called by the Texans. Mm. They called me because they got my name from a guy named Chip Nanius, who's a PR guy who used to work for the Oilers, who now works. He's living in Florida now, but he worked Hollywood movies for a long time, Adam Sandler movies, things like that. But mm. he knew Hank Goldberg, who a lot of people might recognize that name. Uh, he was on ESPN a lot. Mm -hmm. And Hank Goldberg was a, a talk show host in Miami who I knew. We were at the same station. So he asked Hank, is there any like hot announcer you know, down there? And he said, Oh, yeah. He's like, uh, this the guy doing the hurricanes, you know, you might like him. So beautiful. I got on a list with about five other guys, I guess, hmm. I, I guess that um, that were not pursued necessarily, but called. And the Texans asked me if I wanted to sort of apply for the job. I was only on Miami two years at this point. And I was thinking, I don't want to leave Miami. I mean, it was great. I had a great job. I could have that job for life. And at the time, they're doing so well in football. You're thinking it's going to go on forever. I said to myself. Self, <laughs> it's the NFL. There's nothing bigger in the world, and um, and so I said, yeah, let's go. Let's let's pursue this thing. But they dragged their feet because they had a lot of different 
you know, they had the radio station and the team, and they didn't know when they wanted this person to start. And I said, I'm coming in. So I did my technique. I'm flying myself in. Let's talk. So they were more than willing to meet with me because I'm flying myself in, and I was already on their short list, so let's talk to this guy. And uh, I did that twice. I came in twice on my own dime and met with them and met with the station, met with Jamie Roots and the Texans, and uh, and eventually got the job. It took about a year, though, because they originally wanted somebody to start way early so they could see all these events they had. And you might remember some of the stuff they did. They And I wasn't here for that, but the unveiling of the uniforms oh, and Toro, and yeah. they had all these uh, they had event after event because they were launching everything right. relative to the franchise. I got here in time for the expansion draft and got the gig, and uh, I'd never really been to Texas much, you know. And, and I, you know, I wasn't born here, but I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> and uh, I absolutely adore being here, being wow. being part of this thing and being a Texan. Well, so I've got two kids born on Texas soil, so that kind of legitimizes yeah, me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we love having you here. So we look forward to the book uh, about getting your dream job using sales techniques. couple more questions, Mark. Um, you're a guitar player, of course. Um, mm -hmm. Did you ever consider... Uh, making a run at being a professional musician. Yes, that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid, Scott. And um, and I know you're a really good guitarist, and and I think I'm pretty good, you know. And I write songs, and I, I think they're pretty good. I really do. But here's the thing, and I analyze this. I've analyzed this many times. In college, I was in a couple of bands. I thought I was good, and I said this is what I want to do, but. As I look back, I didn't have the drive to do that. I didn't have the drive to do that. And drive, as you know, in music is just, what is it? It's part of it. It's not, you know, talent is such a small percentage. Drive is a big percentage, but it's still not everything, you know? Yeah. And I just didn't have that, I've got to do this drive in music. I just, I love it. I still play all the time. I still write sometimes. And I've got a lot of songs. And I really, you know, I want to get a band together still, and I want to do some things. <laughs> I still, I still do. I, it's very much a part of me. In yeah. fact, you know, you, you know, where the rock and roll thing come from? When I, I realized that all my dreams of playing at Madison Square Garden when I was a kid and being a Zeppelin freak and all of that stuff—that this is my music. You know, being in that booth is me at Madison Square Garden. That's that's where it all fleshed out. You know, that's how it manifested that kind of that that spark that I had as a kid to be a rock star. I'm not a rock star doing this, but it's whatever this is feels like it to me, you know? Absolutely. So that's the satisfaction of being in this business. Um, because as I said, once I started for broadcast, I did have the drive to do this. I was willing to do whatever it took to make right. this successful. Right. You know, so I saw a documentary on Tom Petty. You must have seen it, too. Oh, where he drives and, to California. Uh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Going across country, going to L.A., like yes. working there. I mean, his business acumen is a huge factor in his success. Huge. Because Tom Petty, as great as he is, the songs aren't that amazing. They're really catchy. They're good pop songs. You know, it's just he's so driven. And and I don't want to take anything away from his talent, believe me. I think the, the simplicity of the pop that he plays is part of the appeal, uh, but but his drive was so notable to me in that documentary. And I just thought, if I had that, I think I had the songs to do it. Uh, and and one other thing, though, I don't know how you feel about this, but you know, I can sing a little bit, 
My guitar teacher when I was a freshman in high school, this is the message that I never got. My guitar is like never received really. I was, it was delivered, but I didn't receive it. Uh, my guitar teacher said, hey, you're a good guitarist. You can play and you can write. Get a singer. <laughs> the human voice, the human voice is everything in this business. And he's absolutely right. Who's the greatest rock guitarist ever? It's Jimi Hendrix, right? Right. But think about this. Hendrix has a phenomenal voice. He really does. It's such a deep, warm, wonderful voice. Yeah. And and it's just, you know, all along the watchtower, just imagine him singing that. That is powerful stuff. So as great a guitarist as he is, he still has the voice. You have to have a singer if you can't sing that well. And uh, I didn't, you know, take heed of that. And maybe that's part of why I'm a broadcaster, not a <laughs> musician. Well, yeah, but, you know, some of these singers aren't what people consider to be good singers neil young for example but they have their own uniqueness about them and that's uh, the beauty of rock I mean, yeah neil diamond, exactly you know, yeah when neil diamond teamed up with barbara streisand well she's got an incredible you know it's empirically a great voice right. neil diamond it's a long fellow sir and me you know it's not <laughs> yeah. that great it's just unique yeah, you know exactly. so yeah. i mean how bob dylan it's unique that's all it is so yeah. Uh, you got to have that voice. And, you know, my voice is okay. You know, I, if I was going to make it in music, I'd be like, all right, background vocals, some, and uh, you can sing one tune on the album. That's it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, you'd be the Keith Richards of whatever Rolling Stone band you're in. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. I wish. Hey, the Mick Jagger video, by the way. I mean, you saw that. Awesome. Where well, he's got the Stratocaster. He's, he's playing solo. Well, no, there's, that's one. But when he's dancing. The one where he's dancing is after heart surgery, he's dancing in a studio and it's inspirational. And I tweeted that out with the, with the caption, I will never quit ever <laughs> yeah. because he's 75 years old and let's go, baby. I mean, Man. that is just a beautiful thing to see him move like that, move like Jagger after heart surgery. And they're coming here soon enough, so I, I think that's yeah. uh, that's phenomenal. We saw them three and a half years ago in Buffalo, and and their song set is incredible. It's all, of course, I, I like all the uh, old songs from almost any band, and they played mostly that. But you talk about Newman, of course, this uh, prior to his heart attack, but still, I guess he was you know seventy one or so back then. And Keith Richards, uh -huh. you know, he. I mean, as unhealthy a lifestyle as that guy lives, it was kind of funny. There was a moment there where he got up to sing his song, and they hadn't been in Buffalo since 1975. And he said, uh, you know, it's really great to be back in Buffalo. Actually, it's great to be anywhere. Yeah, he ripped out his song. But man, you, you're going to really enjoy that show. So uh, have fun with that. And just uh, some uh, food for thought. So I have three boys. You have two boys. And so when my boys were young, I you know missed the uh, jamming with the fellas and all that. So I pointed to my sons and I said, you're going to play bass. You're going to play drums. You're going to play keyboard. And so we did. We played for a few years. We uh, uh, carved out 12 original songs, went into a recording studio. One of the most tremendous memories I'll ever have with them. I mean, the, the, it, you know, it sounds terrible because I can't sing, but uh, what, what a great fun time. So uh, maybe something oh, to think absolutely. about. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, well, Mark, this has been a tremendous amount of fun. I, I really appreciate you uh, joining. And uh, we uh, come to our legacy question, what we call on your cron. So if in a hundred years from now, someone in your extended family perhaps is listening to this recording, what do you want them to take from this conversation about you, your experiences, uh, your life, or, or just anything in general? 
Well, it's funny. Like, if you think about family, I think I'm my, I'm my dad's son because my dad uh, was an airline pilot and he's still with us at this, at this recording time. He's 86 years old. He still flies planes. He did what he wow. loved for a living. Yeah. And, and, he, and he looked at it as very much not, not a job. It was a job, but it was a passion. He loved it. And, and that's, but it had a, a, it had a routine to it, you know, and, and that's how I look at this job. And I, I really kind of feel like him, except in a different way. And I want to do this forever. And, uh, and I hope my sons do something they love forever, whether it's this or something else. And, you know, I'm sorry, dad, I didn't become a pilot. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of what I want them to take away. And I hope that, um, you know, a hundred years from now, somebody's listening to this and they're still in Texas and, I hope humans still exist, actually. <laughs> yeah. We want to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, step so, one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be among the things. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Well, Mark, thanks again. Uh, that was that was so much fun. Really appreciate you being on your cron. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. Hey everyone, Scott here to let you know about a special promotion we're having at Your Cron. We are looking for companies that would like to advertise on our podcast. So we are offering advertising space at $25 per podcast. That's only 25 bucks to have your business on a podcast episode. That means every time the episode is played, people are going to hear about your business. And your commercial stays on that podcast forever. So that's a great deal, right? So if you're interested, email me, scott at yourcron.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at Y-O-U-R-C-H-R-O-N.com. Scott at yourcron.com. I would love to hear from you. Bye.